Welcome to the OETA Movie Club podcast. Um, my name is Jeff Moreva. I'm here with Robert Birch, our host. How are you doing today, my friend? Very great. Very, very good. Awesome. Jeff Moreva, our director. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're, we come to you each week and we talk about these movies a little bit more in depth and um, trying to, you know, just find out some details and some trivia and whatever about them and right. and uh, bring you a little bit more stories behind the movies. And yeah. uh, so this week we're excited because we have a double feature. Oh, yes. And uh, it's a Humphrey Bogart double feature. Staying up late Staying with the up boogie. Staying up late. Uh-huh. Starting at... Uh, at nine o'clock, and then uh-huh. the second movie, The Maltese Fa- Falcon, will start immediately uh, after Casablanca uh-huh. is done. And two uh, great movies, two, two of the great best. movies. Uh, let's start with Casablanca. Sure, nineteen forty-two. Um, Give us know, some details. Well, nineteen forty-two. You know, World War Two had been going on since uh, for what nineteen uh, since nineteen thirty-nine. So, um, you know, uh, they make all these references to a uh, concentration camp in this, right. you know, that they're going to all end up in a concentration camp. I don't think any of them, uh, nobody at that time, really knew the reality of yeah. what happened in those camps, but they, they keep referring to that. Um, but, uh, you know, they had originally, this was based on a, on a, a short story uh, called Everybody Returns to Rick's. The um, uh, the author had been in Africa and had uh, uh, been to a cafe that was very much like this uh, yeah. place where he saw um, uh, the the uh, the French the Vichy French uh, uh, cooperating with Nazis that uh, all of these refugees from Europe were coming through there and so he thought you know what a great backdrop for a a romance. Yeah. I, I was surprised when I watched this. I, I was like, well, you know, it's still kind of relevant today. I mean, we, we still have sure. immigrants all over trying to escape worn-torn countries to get to better countries and safer mm-hmm. countries. And, and uh, you know, this is what was happening at this time. It, it was Nazis, and they were trying to—everyone was trying to flee Europe. And, uh, yeah, Casablanca was one of the—I mean, this is a true story. It was, yeah. really was one of the ports, one of the places to— Get out of Europe, right? And everybody was trying to at that and time. And everyone, yeah. So, um, so yeah, still a, re- a very relevant story, and um, and yeah, of course they they turn it into a, a romance, uh-huh. and um, it's you know just considered by many to be one of the greatest on-screen romances ever. Oh yes, and uh, of course it's just a great classic. You know, there was really no relationship between Ingrid Bergman and um, uh, Humphrey Bogart, even though Bogart's uh, wife was very jealous yeah. and insisted that she knew that they were having an affair. And the truth is, really, uh, on set even, they, uh, they would, they're very professional. They, they got along well on, on, on the set. But, you know, when the, when the lights went out and, and they yelled cut, they, they went their separate yeah. ways, really had no relationship at all, and, right. and really never, um, never socialized or even uh, spoke to one another very much after the filming of this of Casablanca. Probably so Bogart could say, no, honey, I, I have no relationship with her, I promise. Well, of course. I mean, if you're holding Ingrid, uh, Ingrid Bergman in your arms <laughs> right. and staring into those eyes, exactly, I can see why you would be a little jealous. Of exactly. Course. So, um, but, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, my wife was actually saying she didn't quite get the Humphrey Bogart uh vibe vibe like she's like why was he such a ladies man like, he, he's not really that you know and i'm like hey in the 1940s him and oh yeah carrie grant and he was huge you know, they were the they were the 
That, that was, oh yeah, those were the well, leading he, men. He's a tough guy too. Yeah, you know, and he he was one of those pictures. Uh, you know, this is the same time as James Cagney and uh, George Raft. You know, in, in fact, George Raft was uh, he was considered for the next film that we're going to talk about this evening about uh, Maltese Falcon. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Um, a lot of the, uh, all, in fact, all the guys that played Germans in Casablanca were uh, Germans who had fled uh, Europe. Um, from the Nazis. Oh, they wow. themselves were uh, f- uh, fleeing from Nazi oppression. Um, you know, it's, uh, I read that uh, uh, it, was, it was a great boon for the studios back then, because, back in like 38, 39, because you had all of these great actors fleeing uh, Western Europe. Right. And so like Peter Lorre and, and uh, uh, Paul Henry, who plays, uh, who's, you know, the, uh, love interest in this uh, as well. Um, uh, he was a, a he had he was a big Nazi. Uh, he campaigned against them. Yeah, and uh, there was uh, actually a a, a uh, inquiry into um, I believe it was Peter Lorre and and uh, Peter he had come to the defense of Peter Lorre saying no 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 he is. He's, uh, you know, not a Nazi sympathizer. Right. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just uh, amazing times that they yeah. were making this film. Oh, at. yeah. Yeah. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about Dooley Wilson. Oh, yeah. Um, he's great. He's great in this. And I didn't know until we were researching this that he didn't actually play the piano. No. Uh-uh. No. He, yeah, he played the drums. He played the drums and was a band leader. Right. Right. And was very, had a you know, very successful career. And so successful that they, you know, put him in the in the film, and um, uh, you know he plays that that piano. Mm-hmm. It has changed hands many times. I remember seeing it in the Smithsonian Institution in oh, wow. in Washington. Uh, it was right there next to Dorothy's uh, uh, ruby slippers and uh, Archie and Edith's chairs from yeah. All in the Family. Yeah, uh, but it is um, it's a it's. It's you know such an important piece in this film, right? I mean that's where the the letters of transit are kept, right? But um, and, and you know, see it, it's got this great you know uh, Arabic motif, yeah. on it, and uh, but it is small. It is a miniature piano. Yeah. Oh, and with, I love the way he just rolls it around uh-huh. in, in the movie. You know, uh-huh. anytime he changes the seat, he just brings the piano yeah. with him. I'm just gonna bring that. I'm just in. gonna roll this on over. Keep playing. <laughs> And he's so chill about it. Yeah. He's like, here it is, and I'm putting the seat down, and okay, how about I just play a little music for you, you know? Now, I will say, I hope you like the song as time goes by, because you're going to hear it <laughs> quite a bit. Um, Which so. it wasn't really, um, you know, the director selected this. It had been out and, and was a popular film for a couple of years yeah. before Casablanca came out. And um, the producers wanted a different um, song. When they saw the film, they said, well, we want a different song for some reason, uh, something more targeted to their situation. And, um, uh, you know, it, it said, well, we've already filmed all these scenes. You know, uh, uh, Ingrid Bergman, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Ingrid Bergman had, had already cut her hair uh, to be in As the Bell Tolls. Right. So she couldn't come back and shoot those scenes again. 
uh, with a different song. Right. So they, they, they had to keep it. And this is at a time where they had to record everything at the same time. So the dialogue, uh-huh. everything with the piano playing in the background, it's all recorded in one oh, take. Yeah. Not like today where you'd record the music separate uh-huh. and then just mix it in later. Um, this was recorded real time. And speaking of him not playing the piano, they had the person who actually did play the piano right, right behind him, behind a curtain, uh-huh. coming from the same area as the piano. And, and uh, I love, yeah, he looks over. And he's actually trying to copy the hand movements. Yeah, he's mimicking. Uh, yeah. yeah. And there's 30 less keys. There's 30 less keys on that small piano right. than on the piano that the guy off to the side is playing. So he oh, had wow. to adjust for that, too. Yeah. 58 keys. Yeah. <laughs> full, key, full piano is 88. Well, now, um, uh, now the other song, right? The La Marseille. The, yeah. the great uh, scene in there, uh, the very stirring scene. Um there, there were many people on the set with real tears in their eyes when they were filming this video because, of course, they had lost their homes right. uh, fleeing the Germans. And um, uh, in the eight or no, during the terrorist bombings, the recent terrorist bombings in Paris, uh, they had an ad campaign that they used these uh, the whole song, the La Marseille from the film. And, you know, select cuts of it uh, showing up, you know, on the side of buildings in Paris. And, you know, it's very stirring, uh, yeah. you know, nationalist feeling right. uh, that, uh, you know, that they were trying to instill in people, you know, to, you know, don't give up, you know, don't give in to the, you know, the terrorism. Right. Yeah. Keep fighting. Nazis were terrible. You know, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> those guys. Um so I had, I had also been reading about some of the, the stuff that they had to shoot and everything. And like the final airport scene, they had to shoot at, at some ungodly time because uh-huh. of not being able to, you know, obviously it was a, a working airport. And, well, uh, and, and they were under a blackout. This yes. was during World War II. So yes. they, they couldn't have studio lights out there. So most of it was shot in a, a soundstage in Burbank. But um, the Van Nuys Airport... Uh, you know, when uh, Major Strasser pulls, uh, flies in at the first, um, that was shot at the Van Nuys Airport at the very first uh, uh, hangar that they, that they had built at Van Nuys. Oh, wow. Um, was there anything else about Casablanca before I move on to the Maltese Falcon? Uh, you know, we could go on for days. Could, I love this film. Peter yeah. Laurie, you know, he, uh, he, was fr- um, he couldn't speak a word of English. Yeah. Yeah, before the, I, just, I read that and I... I mean, he has a thick accent, but, right. but his English is pretty good. Yeah, you know. Well, he by the time they got to Casablanca, you know, with the filming of this, uh, he he was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but he came originally um, with to do uh, Alfred Hitchcock film, one of Hitchcock's first, uh, right. uh, uh, not to America but to Britain, and so he was learning uh, English right off the bat. Right. You know, in, in England for a few years before he came to America and, and, and worked in Hollywood. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. What was that Alfred Hitchcock movie? Oh no, no. I don't <laughs> Cause I can't remember. remember. <laughs> <laughs> I will think of it you in have a minute. Stumped the band. We'll think of it. We'll yeah. think of it. Um, okay. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about the Maltese Falcon. Cause, um, that's our second sure. movie for this night. We've got a lot of the same players actually. Humphrey oh, Bogart, yeah. um, Peter Laurie, Sydney Green, Green Street. Street. Yeah. Um, and Lee Patrick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's several people that you're going to see in both of these movies. And, um, 
so yeah, Maltese Falcon, just a, a great movie. Um, just still that film noir, film noir. Um, you know, Sam Spade, the uh, Dashiell Hammett character. Uh, the the character was was immensely popular. The book was you know at the number one for uh, many months. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, just a natural for for this uh, you know black and white era, the great uh, film noir, uh, uh, and this was John Huston's yes. first directorial debut. He yeah. had been a great screenwriter, right, and was so good, I guess, that they said, "Hey, why don't we why don't we give the kid a shot?" Right, <laughs> let's give him a chance, see, <laughs> see what he'll do, and that's um, why um, that's why George Raft didn't take the part. George Raft was supposed to take the part of Sam Spade in this instead of Bogey. But um, uh, he didn't want to work with a first-time director. He didn't want to take a chance with his career. And uh, so he missed out on one of the great parts of all time. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about you know film noir, black and white. The lighting is very um, stark and contrasty uh-huh. and and I love it, of course, because oh, that's behind-the-scenes stuff for me, you know, lighting and everything. But, uh-huh. but uh, uh, you know, I didn't know some of the back behind-the-scenes details, um, you know, about Sidney Greenstreet and his them having to do his worn, oh, wardrobe yeah. and everything. 357 pounds, right? Um, and they didn't have anything in the Warner Brothers wardrobe department that would fit him. Yeah. So th- they did all of his costumes from scratch, which afterwards he's like, hey— I got some new suits, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Who else are they going right, you know, yeah, like, to give I'm it sure to you, got right? to keep them, yeah. <laughs> and they had to make uh, a chair or chairs specifically for him because the ones that they had, uh, he couldn't sit comfortably in and they wouldn't support his weight. Right. So they had to manufacture uh, furniture for him as well. Wow. Wow. And there, a lot of smoking in this movie. We talked about oh, yeah. that a little bit. Well, um, um uh, yeah, there was initially, uh, you know, like I mean, this was the the time when uh, you know World War II. They would issue cigarettes right. along with your K rations, exactly, you know? yeah. And uh, doctors would do commercials of uh, you know the best cigarette for for me is right. you know. Well, um, everybody was smoking on the set, and um, the studio head Jack Warner, he didn't want people smoking in these films. He didn't like that because he thought. It would encourage audience members, you know, they'd see you smoking on the on the screen, that they would get up and leave the theater to go have a smoke. Right. So he was like, "No, no, no! Don't, don't, don't smoke!" And uh, the cast members, being sort of uh, mischievous, they said, <laughs> "Everybody smokes, right? We'll just we'll light up in every scene." And he saw some of the dailies and went through the roof. He was like, "You know, what are you doing? You know, I don't like this." And um, after looking at some of the dailies, the director said, this gives, you know, really the sort of mysterious, um, uh, tension-filled atmosphere that I'm looking for in this film. And he he begged Jack Warner to to let him, uh, let his cast members smoke in this. They, you know, once it wasn't a joke anymore, they cut back a right, little bit. Right, of course, yeah. You know, but uh, uh, that's part of why you see all these characters lighting up in, in this film particularly. Um, one scene I was wanting to talk about, and, you know, spoilers here, at uh, the end when they 
are when they have this Maltese Falcon and uh-huh. it's the black lead one and, and everything. And he just grabs knife, some knife, something, and he just starts going to town on it. And I'm sitting there the whole time watching that going, if that was real gold, <laughs> gold is softer than lead, right? Right. Well, so it you'd is. Be, yeah. You'd be tearing that all apart. Like, uh-huh. But uh, yeah, he goes, he goes nuts on that thing. And uh, it's really pretty funny. It's the stuff that dreams are made of. That's right. Well, yeah. do they? They never actually say that it's gold. No, it, and in fact, they say it's a fake. I mean, right. they, they say, "Oh, it's it's not it. We got to keep looking." But even when they think it's gold, they don't say no. that it's gold. No. So, and I had read that for the actual, like people have actually gone and done this and researched uh-huh. it for the size of the Maltese Falcon and for what it was made of as far as gold and encrusted in jewels, uh-huh. they estimate that it would be about 90 pounds in weight, Ooh. which of course in the movie, they're just tucking it under their arm and carrying <laughs> it around. And, and, uh-huh. uh, and uh, uh, oh, I've forgotten his secretary's name in the movie. Um, she just picks it up, yeah. you know, and just walks around with it. No big deal. And it's gold. It's It'd solid be very gold. Heavy. It'd be very heavy. Yeah. So. Well, and you know, Bogart uh, dropped it. Yes. And, and bent the tail feathers. One of uh, them, right? They, had, them. they made three. Right. They had three, and uh, you know the one that's all bent up from Bogey dropping it uh, is in the Warner Brothers uh, Studios Museum. They have a little museum there at the at the lot, and uh, uh, but all three of those now are estimated in value to be over a million dollars. Oh wow! Each, each. wow, which means that uh, they're the most. Uh, you know, it used to be I think the ruby slippers right. were the most uh, valued. Movie props, yeah, but um, maybe that falls under costume. I'm maybe, not... yeah, yeah, but but I have heard, yeah, I know the ruby slippers are in the millions, yeah. So and so these uh, the Maltese Falcons really are cost much more than what the budget was for the film itself. Right. That's so awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, that wraps up our time here. Um, yeah. We want to, of course, say, as we always do, please, in cele- uh-huh. please send in celebrity photos. Oh, please. And, we we uh, need those. And tune in and, and subscribe and like the podcast. Yeah. And, of course, next week uh, after this, we have the imitation the game. The imitation coming game up with, on uh, February 12th. Yeah. February yeah. 12th. Uh, so we're looking forward to that one. Yeah. Very much. It's All a good one. Right. It's a great one. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. You can preview all upcoming OETA Movie Club films at oeta.tv forward slash OETA dash movie dash club. And please send your celebrity photos to P.O. Box 14190, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73113, or you can email them to us at oeta.tv forward slash movie club. And, of course, tune in every Saturday night at 9 and on Fridays at 11. We'll see you on the couch every weekend for a great movie and fresh popcorn.